Hey, thank you for joining us today for Worship at First. My name is Daniel. I'm one of our pastors, and we're eager to celebrate with you today and eager to share God's Word with you. But uh, really quick, I kind of got to get into a little bit of a childhood rant for a second. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm one of those poor American children who was raised without cable television. Anyone else in the room? Anyone? Oh, we all made it. Uh, there's a support group that I can invite you to later, but I'll just talk to me personally about that. But anyhow... That was one of the things that I had to endure as a child, boredom. It's a real cross to bear, right? Until this really awesome thing occurred, and like many of you, we got an, like this sick pair of bunny ear antennas. Anyone else like the savior of the five channels, the bunny ear antennas? Great, great. So we're in this together. And so like many of you then, uh, I grew up under the excellent judgment of the Honorable Judge Judy. There she is. Doesn't she look just great this morning, right? And that was a really cool thing. You know, I at least had those 30 minutes from time to time that I could get a little bit of quality programming on TV. But I was honestly a little bit sad when I found out, a little bit disillusioned, that Judge Judy is not even a real judge. Like, come on. Come on. I even heard like a couple of gas right there. It's like, what? I just found out? Yeah, TV judges aren't real judges all the time. Who knew, right? And so one of these things that we've recognized even is that although she's not a real judge, she gets paid really, really well. She is the most well-paid TV personality that there is. You know how much she makes? $47 million a year. It's incredible. And she only works 52 days a year, so that's over $900,000 per time she shows up to work. Pretty, pretty good gig if you ask me. Uh, have you ever, as a parent, had to play judge and jury on a family road trip? Anyone in the room like that? Right. So it gets kind of rough. Imagine this guy Moses in the Bible. He leads 600,000 kids out of Egypt on a 40-year road trip, right? That's a lot of minivans when you think about that. And the thing that turns out is when you bring that many kids on a road trip, that there are fights and disputes. So they would stop and camp out in different places in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And this is what the Bible says about Moses, that from sunrise to sunset, people would come before him and they would plead their case for the disputes that they had against different people. And he would try them until the end of the day. It was completely exhausting. So one of these things that you're going to notice if you just think about our culture and if you read the Bible in general is that for a long, long time, people have been deeply concerned about judging rightly in our relationships, knowing what's right and what's wrong in our relationships. Even this sound, right, it brings those, doesn't that, the power that I have this morning, it's just kind of incredible. Uh, the, the feelings that you get, the images that come to your mind are that of justice in judgment. But here's one of the issues when it comes to human judges. We don't get it completely perfect all the time. It's one of our default settings. When you're dealing with humans, even in a justice system like ours, you'll be dealing with human error. And so this is one of those things that I've been looking into a little bit more in a detailed way as I've prepared for kind of a tough topic this morning. And so some of the things that I read is that some independent studies share that one in 25 people who are put on death row are often innocent of the charges, actually. Have you ever run across a friend or a family member who you love dearly who gets embroiled in a custody battle, and at the end of the day, they get the short end of the stick? Now, I'm not here to dilute your faith in the justice system. We should be appreciative of the fact that we have something to judge those things for us, but it isn't always perfect. 
Studies have also suggested that depending upon where you live in the country and what your ethnicity is, you may come to find that you'll do more time for the exact same crime. Now, honestly, I don't know what to do with a lot of that. And again, I am not here to dilute your faith in the justice system. One thing I've certainly noticed is that when it comes to issues of justice and judgment in our culture, there are really different opinions that people hold very, very strongly to. But I'm also not here to say that things like that that I just mentioned are things that we should just shrug our shoulders at and say, hey, we're just going to dust that under the rug. That's no big deal. The simple truth is that when you're dealing with human judges, there is bound to be human error. Judges don't always get it right, even in a place like America. But this is what I think is the common ground for all of us. I think that we all want justice. We want justice for ourselves, and we want justice for the people that we love in particular. And that's why I think it's so important for us to lean in and pay attention to this portrait of Jesus as judge. Now, over the course of the last couple of months, we've discovered that Jesus is God in human form. We discovered that Jesus is our priest. He's an advocate for us in our relationship with God. We've learned that Jesus is a Savior rescuing us from the condemnation of sin and death. We learned that He's the King of the world, yet He's a servant at the same time. And He's a prophet willing to share the truth with us even if it steps on our toes. But today, as we lean into this portrait of Jesus as a judge, this is the big idea that we're getting at today. We're going to discover that Jesus is the true judge of all our relationships. Now, I imagine there's been a point in your life where you've been at odds with someone, maybe even in a significant way. And then on the day-to-day basis, we get into squabbles with people, whether it's our friends, our family, our coworkers, the children in our house, even a stranger who cuts us off in traffic or is kind of annoying us at whatever place we're shopping at. This is what we're going to find out today. If we get our relationship with Jesus right, all of our other relationships begin to fall into place. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you don't have faith in Jesus today and you're visiting, that you can't have happiness in your relationships. That would be a generalization that would be unfair and untrue. However, what I am saying and what I hope to show you all today is that when our relationship with Jesus is right, love of others naturally flows out of that relationship. So, here's what I want you to do. Could you turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, if you brought your Bible or if you got your phone app ready to go today? It's the first book of the New Testament. It's also going to be on the screens as well. And let me give you a little bit of time to get there. But while you're doing that, a couple of weeks ago, we established this big idea that Jesus lived to establish God's kingdom on earth. But the good news is that Jesus never planned to do that alone. He wanted to enlist our help to be a part of that. So even before his arrest and crucifixion, 70 of Jesus' followers were sent out by him personally on a specific mission to the people of Israel. And this was the point. Jesus understood that God's people had expectations about what it meant for God's kingdom to arrive, but they needed their perspective shifted. And so he sent these 70 people out to help them know that the kingdom of God wasn't off in the future somewhere. It was happening right in their midst. And so they should start to behave like the king was actually around. But here's the thing. 
that mission that he sent them on was not going to be easy whatsoever. Jesus needed his followers to know that if he faced false accusations, if he faced physical persecution, they should expect the same things for themselves. It was going to take a special person to remain faithful to Jesus in the unjust world that they were being sent out into. But the good news was, with this great risk came a great reward. And this is how Jesus said it. He said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, that's a lot to take in, but in a very straightforward way, Jesus seems to be making this claim. Your relationship with me will define your relationship with God. Man. Now, I'm a lot like Danny. I love to share messages of grace and mercy about how through our faith in Jesus, we're rescued from sin and death. We're made right in our relationship with God. That it's rooted in reality that we can find forgiveness. But at the end of the day, it always comes down to what our relationship with Jesus is like. And the good news is that our relationship with Jesus, it sets us free. Sure, it sets us free from the consequences of sin and death, but it also sets us free from the day-to-day trappings of life that keep us from being the people that God created us to be. So, right before Jesus, he goes and he sends out his 70 followers. He wants to send them out with some warnings about what it's going to be like. And this is what he says. Continuing a little bit back, actually, in verse 18, he says, On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, What does that have to do with freedom? Because if I'm reading that at surface level, that sounds like the opposite of freedom. That sounds like me getting in trouble. That sounds like me facing harm for my faith. But this is the point Jesus is making. He says that if you're following him, you're going to become like him. If you're following him, it means embracing the same things in life that he did. And paradoxically, those hard things are the very things that set us free here And now, just look at Jesus' life for a moment. Think about him. Jesus never sought justice for himself. He never sought justice for himself. He was content to know the will of God and to live it out in his life. He endured false accusations. He endured all kinds of persecution and ultimately murder. And it never distracted him from his purpose of bringing God's kingdom on earth as in heaven. And so this is where it really hits home for us. This is the good news. When we know the true judge, we don't have to seek justice for ourselves. When we know the true judge, we don't have to seek justice for ourselves anymore. Now, I don't know, some of you, maybe about half of the room are like me. You grew up in a Christian culture your whole entire life. And some of the messages that I heard consistently from the time that I was a little kid growing up in the church were to stand up for what I believe in 
and to defend my rights as a follower of Jesus. And those aren't bad things in and of themselves. The only thing that I've learned as I've reflected upon that as an adult is a lot of the time that stuff, those words of wisdom, came from a posture of defensiveness. It had little to do with helping other people come to have a relationship with Jesus who are far from God. It had a lot to do with making sure that I didn't get in trouble for being a Christian. Now, friends, Jesus has set us free from having to protect ourselves. He encouraged his own followers that as they went out into the world, that they shouldn't fear what human courts and institutions would do to them. His charge to them and us is to share the good news that God's kingdom is here, that we can be made right in our relationship with God. And from there, we are set free to let the results follow as they may. And he shares with us, even if it comes to the point where you have to defend yourself, you don't even need to worry about what you're going to say because I will plead on your behalf. I've given you a Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Father, to speak on your behalf. I will defend you. Now, I feel like I'm speaking specifically to those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, but no matter who you are, I want you to lean in for just a moment. If we know the true judge of the world, if we truly know him, we can be confident that he has our back all the time. Because when our relationship with God is right, we're set free from the vice of constantly looking out for ourselves. Instead, we can boldly declare this incredible truth that Jesus is alive, that sin and death have been defeated. We have permission in every single way to be free now and to be free for forever. Now, I'm going to have to go Spider-Man on you a little bit for a second because it's obvious that with true freedom comes great responsibility. Because Jesus, he set us free from seeking justice for ourselves, but it's very important that we understand this rightly and that we don't abuse the freedom that God has granted us from sin and death in Jesus. And so I've been trying to think about what this would look like, what we should avoid as followers of Jesus. And a pastor who I really admire posted this the other day, and it hits the pin right on the head. He said this, he said, Ironically, often the biggest obstacle to a justice grounded in faith comes from Christians who claim to be justified by faith. Now, what do I mean by that? More specifically, what happens a lot of the times is we feel like since we've been set free in Christ, the things and the issues in this world that are going on that are hurting other people don't matter. Well, they should just accept Jesus and accept eternal life. As if God doesn't care about the plight of real people and the circumstances they do in life. So in very clear terms, let me say, it is not our job as those who have been made free in Christ to tell other people that the things that they're going through do not matter. That is not our role. In fact, I think Jesus would have us do the exact opposite of that. Because Jesus flips the script. He set us free from defending ourselves. So he says, I am the true judge. Now, go be my justice to others. Don't look out for yourselves anymore. Look out for the people who I created. For the people who I loved enough to die for. Now, Yeah, you ever think about those epic speeches at the end of movies? 
You know what I'm talking about? The ones that fill us with a shot of adrenaline. Someone stands up in the face of injustice for what's right and charges into battle. There's a reason why people go back and watch those clips on YouTube over and over again, or maybe that's just me, because uh, pretty frequently I find myself watching the final scene of Braveheart. You know what I'm talking about? We got Mel Gibson, flowing long hair, blue war paint, Scottish accents, kilts. Maybe I took it a little bit too far. Apologies for that, as far as that goes. But you imagine these scenes, and you imagine how justice It's just built into our bones. We have something about us that says, hey, we're supposed to stand up for what's right in the face of wrongs. And it's very interesting. At the end of Jesus' life, he has this opportunity to give a rah-rah speech kind of like this. And he gets to the point where he's building one story after another. He's journeying toward the cross. And before he gives that last rah-rah speech, he has an opportunity to share one more impactful story. And he begins to share perhaps the most bizarre story that he ever shared in his time on earth. He starts by saying that he's going to return and establish a throne on earth, which would have been confusing to all the people following him because they're like, hey, return from what, Jesus? Where are you going? Because they still didn't recognize that he needed to die. But he paints this picture of himself sitting on a throne, judging the people and nations of the world, and in this bizarre way, separating people into two categories— The sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And this is where Jesus leans in and he talks to these sheep. He says this, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit to me. And he goes on to say this, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Now, I don't know if you caught that last little bit of what Jesus is doing in this moment. But as far as he is concerned, the way that we treat other people proves how well we know the judge. You know, just like last week when we were leaning into this idea of Jesus preaching to his hometown and they didn't really receive it too well, he gets really specific about the people he's talking about. Uncomfortably specific. He says, the hungry and the thirsty... The strangers, those without the common life resources that you and I have, like clothing, the sick, the imprisoned. When you bestow grace and peace upon these people, Jesus says, you are really pleading my cause. You are really fighting for me. Now, this is a concern that I think I've seen crop up in my own life. I can sometimes be so concerned about where I stand personally with Jesus that I forget to see his face in the people and opportunities that pass in front of me on a day-to-day basis. Those other people, or as Jesus calls them, his brothers and sisters. The reality, though, that Jesus paints is a world, this world, where he will return and reign as true judge, where every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before him. 
And how will we know where we stand in our relationship with the judge? Well, it all depends on how well we know him. If we truly know him. Now, frankly, I think goats are kind of cute, especially like the little baby goats. You know what I'm talking about? Like, until they grow up and grow horns and start eating your clothes at the petting zoo, right? But as far as goats go, it is not good news to be a goat in your relationship with Jesus. He goes on to explain how the goats are eternally cursed, set away for eternal fire. Which, that's a really scary and graphic image, but I don't want to get caught there. What I want to understand is, why would Jesus hand down such a harsh sentence to people like that? This is what he goes on to say when he's talking to the goats on his left. He said, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was in need of clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And this is what I find really interesting, because the goats pipe up to defend themselves. They feel like they're justified. They feel like they haven't gotten it wrong. And so they answer Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Now, we've been painting a couple of different pictures of Jesus today. We've got one in Matthew chapter 10, right before he sends out 70 of his followers on this mission to the people of Israel. And Jesus says to them, deny me in front of others, and I'll deny you in front of my Father. Which, man, that... That is so challenging, it's hardly even convicting. I find it to be more scary than anything else. But as we move forward, and there's this different picture of Jesus right before his death, the last story he told before he died. He says, if you deny those in need, you're actually denying me. Do you see what he's doing there? He's taken this teaching from earlier in his life that would have been clear, that his followers would have known, and he's building upon it. And he's saying, if you deny those in need, you're actually denying me. Now we're moving to a time of response. And here's kind of the pro tip don't be a goat. You know what goats do is they look right into the face of the judge and they say, hey, what's the big deal? They try to justify themselves. They see the face of Jesus on a day-by-day basis and they deny him in the presence of how they treat those people. They ask, Jesus, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or unclothed or imprisoned or in sick? And Jesus' answer to the goats is you saw me every single day. Jesus, he sets us free from the tyranny of having to look out for our needs on a day-to-day basis, and he sets us loose to be his justice in the world, to bring his kingdom on earth as in heaven. That's what it means to know the true judge. Now, I've been listening to the radio on my way home from work pretty frequently here recently, 
And if you've been listening to Christian radio at all, you've heard about this organization called the International Justice Mission. And what they do is they combat the sex trade, the child sex slavery trade in the world. And what one of the ladies who worked for them said is that she truly believes that by the end of our lifetime, by the end of the next couple of generations, we will see the end of this horrific sex trade in our world. Do you know what type of danger you're setting yourself up for when you put yourself up against that kingdom of darkness? When you say, this evil and heinous thing, it cannot stand because Jesus is the judge of the world and I'm his. But that's what it looks like to know the true judge. Now, I've been encouraged and convicted by many of you in this congregation as I've watched you invite families and children into your home who are in need of systems of support and sustainability and friendships and just relationships that are healthy. And they're finding that in the church because of you and your partnership with our partner ministry, Safe Families. That's a picture of what it looks like to know the true judge. Still yet, I'm thinking about one of my friends who is driven just this week hundreds of miles away to pick up a family member from prison and help them reacclimate to the world that we're living in because they've been stowed away for several years. That's what it looks like to know the true judge. Now, today, like every other day, we take this time of our worship service to carve out intentional space to respond who God is revealing himself to be as we're opening his word and as we're worshiping him. And the first thing that we always do is we move to celebrate the meal of communion. I don't know if you put this together, but we serve a judge who bore the sentence that was due to us on himself. Oh, to know this judge who wouldn't give us the consequence, but would take it for himself so that we could be made right in our relationship with God. If that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you today, come and celebrate the fact that you've been made right through God, through Jesus. You can take the body that's represented by the cracker, and you can take the blood which is represented by the cup. You can partake of that by moving to one of our communion stations that are all throughout the auditorium at the edge of the room. But the next thing that maybe you need to do today is you need to take a moment to come before Jesus in conviction and say, you know what, Jesus? I've been ignoring your face and some people that you've intentionally put in front of me. And you're feeling convicted and you know you need to move in some way to be God's justice in your life here and now. But you just don't know what to do. My encouragement to you is we've got these prayer benches right up in front where you can come and you can kneel for a moment in humility and just ask, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want to send me? Where do you want to partner with me to right the wrongs that are right in front of my face? And here's what we know, is that when we ask for those open door opportunities, God is faithful to swing those doors wide open and he's given you everything you need to go and meet that need. The last thing that you have an opportunity to do is to respond by going to one of our response boxes. Whether you have a decision that you're working through, you know you need to be right in your relationship with Jesus before you can be right in your relationships with other people, before you can go out and be on the mission that he wants you to be a part of, you can write that down on your connection card and move toward one of our response boxes. We've got two in the back of the room, two in the front sides of the room. 
This is also a place where if you have questions or a prayer request, you can just fill that out and drop that in the response box as we move in just a moment. But some of you have come today prepared to give generously to the mission of Jesus expressed here through First Christian Church. We're going to flash up a number of ways in which you can give here for just a moment. But after you've taken the time to do that, you're going to have a chance to move toward one of the boxes if you've prepared to give today. So there are a number of ways to give, but if you are prepared to give generously today, you can do that through the response boxes as well, whether it's your decisions, your questions, or your gifts. Now we're going to move to do that in just a second, but one of the things that is so striking about the earliest followers of Jesus is they had this deep awareness that Jesus was the judge of the world, and yet they had a hopeful expectation that he was coming back. They didn't fear Jesus' return. They awaited it eagerly. One of Jesus' best friends was a man named John. And John ended the Bible by simply saying this, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you understand how incredibly bold it is to come before the judge of the world and with hope and joy say, come back, Jesus, we need you. But you can do that when you know where you stand with the judge. One of the other reasons why we ask the judge to come home is because when you go and you combat the kingdom of darkness in your life, when you go on mission to the place that God has specifically set apart for you, you will bump up against things that are beyond your ability to take care of. As much as we believe that God can do incredible things in and through us, his church, working in the world to advance God's kingdom on earth as in heaven, it's not all going to be completed until Jesus comes back to right all of the wrongs that are in place. And so as we partner with him, as we see his face in every person and opportunity that we run across, we worship him and we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. We want you back. You can take care of it. We need you. We love you. Come, Lord Jesus. So would you do this with me? Would you stand as we respond? And we're going to worship Jesus. Feel free to move as you're ready to respond as we worship Jesus, our judge.